as we talk about being on mission and we, we jump into the next section of Luke, last week we looked at 10 questions to ask, are we on mission? And, and um, as we saw, Jesus said, mission is to share the gospel, to declare the gospel, to proclaim the good news, but it's also to help people or to heal people. And we talked about that word last week, to love them. And, and it really is loving God and loving others. And, and we may do really well at the loving God, but sometimes the loving others is a challenge, isn't it? Especially as we are all different people and have different um, opinions, and some people annoy us, some people we get along great with. One author wrote, to love the whole world for me is no chore. My only problem is my neighbor next door. <laughs> isn't that the truth sometimes? Friendships are hard. Relationships are hard sometimes. It is hard to care for that person that annoys us to where the hair on the back of our our neck stands up and we just want to go scream. Not that you've ever met anyone like that. It's hard to love somebody when they've hurt us or said some insensitive things and some, some harsh things, some critical things. Or it's hard to love people that are different from us. Tell me when you don't walk down the street or walk through a store that there aren't times that you go down a different aisle because someone is in that aisle. Or you go on the other side because someone is there that you just don't want to interact with or it's a type of person that may concern you. These are things that we deal with in our fallen state in a Genesis 3 world because we have these preconceived notions of people and, and we have these ideas of I don't want to get involved there. There may be people that we avoid as we go to the gym today because we know what that conversation is going to be like. And these are all interpersonal issues that at their heart come down to do I love others the way God asked me to? Love God, love others. It's on our um, lobby on the exit there that you see on the way out because it is the great two commandments that Jesus commands us to do. It's hard even in our culture. You turn on the news, and even this morning we saw that, um, that two African Americans were arrested in a Starbucks for no reason. And we, the whole race relations and, and racial inequality and, and all of that subject comes up over and over and over in the news because we are fallen people and we gravitate toward people like ourselves and we forget to love people that aren't like ourselves. And instead of loving them, we want to disparage them and and set them in their own little group. And so God knows this. Jesus knows that in our fallen state, we have these propensities, but he still says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so right after giving these commands to be on mission, to love others, to be reaching out, to be caring for others, the very next section in Luke is a story of what that means. And how far-reaching it is. Because we could take that command and say, yes, I'm on mission to the neighbor on my left because I like them. And they're like me. And we can talk to them. Neighbor on my right, you know, someone else in the neighborhood can reach them. I don't even know how to reach them. And again, don't tell me that doesn't happen. (laughs) Because I know. But Jesus is going to say, man, I have a whole different way for you. I have a whole different way of interpreting that command that is broader and more far-reaching than anything you may have thought of. It's radical in nature, and so he shares that with us to give us a corrective of how we love people. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. 
And we're going to follow along today as Jesus equips his followers of how to love people. And he's going to raise his bar of what that means to love other people and to care for other people and to minister to them, to be on mission in an interpersonal way. Now, you may, as you're turning there, turn to Luke 10, 25 and say, Oh, the Good Samaritan, I know this one. I get a 30-minute nap or 50-minute nap, one of the two. I encourage you this morning to not check out just because you know the parable. Just because you've heard it 20 times in Sunday school and in in youth group and read it. But let's look at this with the concept of what does it mean to love others on mission? Why is Jesus sharing this story? What is he trying to get across? Now with parables, remember there's generally one main point to a parable and then the, the multiple applications come out of that one main point. The Good Samaritan has been tortured by, by biblical interpreters over the years that want to make everything mean something else. And Jesus is here and, and this, it has one main point. And the main point is answering the question, who is my neighbor? And how am I to treat them? And so we want to zero in on that main point, interpret a parable properly. See, it can't mean what it didn't mean for them. So we want to ask, what did it mean for this lawyer that comes to Jesus and tries to trap him? Because I think it's transformative if we understand the message that Jesus is trying to get across. So we have some categories that we'll look at today. We'll look at the question that Jesus asks and, or that, that the man asks. Then we'll look at the parable. And then we'll, we'll draw some lessons out of that. But in, in Luke 10, 25, we, we begin the, the section with the question and this interaction with the lawyer. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to a test. And so the implication, if he's standing up, they, that he was sitting down. And that was the normal way of teaching, as they would sit down. And so Jesus is teaching, and the lawyer stands up to speak, and he wants to put him to the test. He's going to catch Jesus. He's going to trick him. And, and so, okay, let's see how that goes. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And it was a common question of the time. And, and Jesus is saying some pretty radical things about repentance and turning to God. Okay, so what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you catch the implication of that, that, that question? What must I do? So right from the start, this man's coming from a perspective of works. And how do I need to earn my salvation? As a lawyer, and we think of lawyers as, as arguing in court and all kinds of other things about lawyers, but in this case, this was an expert at Old Testament law. This was a, a religious man that knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And he comes and, and wants to, to show Jesus up. What shall I do with this works-based salvation in his mindset? Jesus knows his thoughts. He knows what he's trying to do. He knows he's a lawyer and, and knows the law. So he asks him and he turns it back on him. He said to him, well, what's written in the law? Great way to, to, to draw him out and to engage this lawyer. He says, how do you read it? And he, being the lawyer, answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That's the Shema that they would have recited every morning and evening. And your neighbor as yourself. These are the great two commands that Jesus said all other commands hinge on these or are based on these. These cover them all. And and so this lawyer rightly catches what God, what, what the heart of Jesus is, what the heart of the law is. Love God, love others. And these are, these are exactly what the truth was, what he needed to say. And so Jesus answers him in 28. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, now I I want to interject here. 
Jesus isn't supporting a works-based salvation here. He says, do this and live, but by the story that follows, he's going to show you're not doing this and none of us can. None of us can fully do this, which is why we need a Savior. The law served as a standard, a bar, and you would expect a holy God to give a holy law, a holy standard, right? And then as we go through life, we realize we can't meet that. We are all sinners, every one of us. And so we can't save ourselves and we need a Savior to come along and to empower us and to show us how to do that. To give us salvation and then give us the strength to live. And so Jesus rightly answers, you're right. If you really love God with your whole self, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if you really love your neighbor as yourself in every situation, that's the answer. But then he's going to show that he doesn't do that. It's interesting, the the love God, um, love others, love your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about this before, but these are the, the, the summation of all the law. Even the Ten Commandments, you can think of the first four, the first part of them as loving God, and they all deal with our relationship with God. Then the next six all deal with our relationship with others and how do we love others. And so you see love God and love others right there. Also think about this, the two are tied together. If we love God, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we will show His love to others. We can't help it. If we are struggling to love others, we are struggling to love God. You can't separate these two and say, okay, in 2018, I'm going to work on loving God. I'm going to be pretty mean to others, but I'm going to work on loving God. And then in 2019, we'll work on loving others. You can't separate the two. If you love God, you will love others. And so the lawyer hears this. And he might have thought, hey, I love God. I love my neighbor as myself. I'm good. I'm in. Maybe he, maybe he thought that. Or maybe he's realizing where Jesus is going with this and trying to feel better about himself and, and what his practices are. So in verse 29, he asks the question, but he, desiring to justify himself, to feel better about himself, to look good, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And in that moment, there's a a bit of trying to get out of the command. Because who is my neighbor has the implication that there's two categories of people. There's my neighbor and there's not my neighbor. And my neighbor I have to love and not my neighbor I get to feel however I want about. And so the question implies that there's these groups and the lawyer's trying to find this line of just how far do you have to follow Jesus? How far do we have to go to love others? Not realizing that loving others is a key part of of following God. In Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, how does it start? The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's that important. It's first. In 1 Corinthians 13, you have 1 through 3 that says, If I do all these great things and I have the tongues of men and angels and, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and if I have not love, I am nothing. The end of that chapter, so now faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so we we, he he misses that this is the most important thing. And so he says, Who is my neighbor? And and maybe he's trying to look good in front of others, like, hey, you know, I have I have abided by this. It's the, the employee of the month that gets the award and says, Hey, who's the employee of the month this year or this week? 
And, and everyone's like, well, you are. You got the award. And maybe that's what he's doing. But whatever it is, he has this mindset that he doesn't have to love everybody. And in fact, the Jewish mindset was you loved other Jews and you loved visitors in your house. That was the, what they considered the command was to love, who, who the command was saying to love. And so if you went beyond that, you didn't have to love them. This is why Jesus was so revolutionary when he said, love your enemies, because that was outside of this circle of people that they felt were their neighbor that they needed to love. See, lo- loving people around us, that's easy. Loving people like us, that's easy. Loving people that we get along with, that's easy. But what about the people we don't? And so Jesus is going to tell this parable in answer to this question. And he's actually not going to answer who is my neighbor, but he's going to answer a better question that says, how should I love my neighbor? How can I be a loving neighbor? And, and he's going to turn this on, on its head and try to direct this man to what it truly means to love others. When we think of the word neighbor, one other thought, we think um, proximity. We think the, the person living next door and next door to that. It's interesting in the Greek, there are two words for, for neighbor. Th- there's one word that says the person living near you. That's not the word used here. This word is used for those in community with you, those around you. And so it's a broader word than just, oh, who is my neighbor, the one living two doors down? This is a broader word that, that deals with who's in my community, who's in my sphere of influence. Who do I come in contact with? might be a better way of looking at it. And so he's going to challenge this man that it's not just people with the same skin color, that it's not just people that he, he finds easy, but it's people that are in need. Anyone that is made in the image of God that is in need. One other thought, the man with this question, well, who is my neighbor? He's trying to, to delineate as a, a legal um, student of the law would delineate, okay, just how far do I have to go to obey God? Just where's that line? And I, I challenge us this morning as we read this that, that we sometimes approach God's rules like that. We sometimes say, well, how far can I go? When we talk with youth and, and, and singles about purity, one of the questions that sometimes comes up is, well, how far can I go? And that's the wrong question because we're like, how close to the line of sin can I get? That's what this lawyer's asking. And, and in reality, if we love God, our hearts are dedicated to Him. We want to get as far from sin as we can. And our whole mission and focus is elsewhere anyway to where that's not the concern because we're not even going to get close to that. And so he, he's trying to split hairs here where he shouldn't be splitting hairs. And, and so Jesus is going to give a, a much-needed corrective in this familiar parable. And so in verse 30, we get to the parable. And the story answers, not who is my neighbor, but how can I be a loving neighbor? Jesus replied, and he begins to tell a story as he was a master storyteller. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, for us, those are two names, Jerusalem and Jericho. But for them, they would have understood this road. Many of them would have traveled this road. And this was a treacherous road in some really difficult terrain. I have some pictures. I love pictures. Um, Put up a map here. And this is the Dead Sea. Not the Sea of Galilee is still somewhere up here. So we're down here. And Jerusalem is here. 
And if you look, Jericho's here. And they're about 17 miles apart. So that's the scale here, not very far apart. But Jerusalem is up in the mountains. Jericho is down here in the the Jordan Valley, so it's down below sea level. There's about a um, 3,300-foot drop in this descent, in these 17 miles. Mount of Olives is here, and you have Bethany, and we, we talked about that with Easter and Jesus coming over the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. This road to, to Jericho was a really harsh terrain. If we go to the next picture, this is an overhead view of it. I don't know if you can see that at all. This is Jericho down here, and Herod had a palace here. Jerusalem is up here, and this line roughly follows the road. And we actually, they've unearthed the Roman, um, remain, Roman remains of a road, so we're pretty sure where it is. And you would come up here and eventually make your way up to Jerusalem. And if you go to the next picture, you get a little bit of the idea of the terrain. Wooded, lush, lots of rest stops. This up here is the road, okay? And this is just barren. It is harsh. And if you go to the next picture, you get a picture of the road. This is what the men would have been walking on. Lots of turns, lots of caves, lots of rocks to hide behind. And this road, everyone that heard this would have been like, yeah, there's robbers on that road. We never go there alone. We, we always take weapons, and some people would actually take swords with them on this particular walk. And so Jesus is using the familiar to teach an expanded view of neighbor. And so he says, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers, and he paints this picture of the robbers stripping him and beating him, and they leave him half dead. He is laying on the side of this road and, and unable to move, and in this desolate area, he is left to die. And so everyone hearing this would be like, okay, what's going to happen? Remember, this is in response to the question, who is my neighbor? And so then Jesus comes, and in the next verse in 31, he says, now by chance, and the idea there is, isn't it good fortune? A priest walked by. We're good. A priest was going down that road, and if he's a priest coming down from Jerusalem, he probably is just coming off his time of service in the temple. So the priest would intercede between people and God, and he would be like our pastor of today. So you might say, what if one of the Pastor Andrews is walking down from from Jerusalem, (laughs) and um, they, they come across this man? Well, of course, they would help them because they're emissaries of God to man. They're showing God's grace to man. So everyone hearing this would have had that expectation. Priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So he spies him, and he sees the man there, and he says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go this way. Probably better footing, nicer path, and he goes on and never gives the guy a second look. This is the priest, the spiritual man, the religious leader. We don't know why. There's a lot of conjecture. One, if he was just serving in the temple, then he's ceremonially clean. And if you touch a dead body then you become unclean, and and it's just really inconvenient. You know, you have a lot of things you have to do then to be clean again, and he's already right with God. And so we're loving God, but let's not love others because that might make it more inconvenient to love God. Do you see the issue? As well as if he goes over there and finds out he's not dead, then he doesn't have to, to, to become clean again. He doesn't have to wash up, but then he has to help the person. Ah, much better just to avoid and just to ignore. And so Pastor Andrew walks to the side, or Pastor Ron, (laughs) and ignores. 
and leaves the man there half dead to die. Think of love God, love others, and what this means. And everyone there would have been like, I can't believe the guy did it. But, you know, we know some priests, and it's not that out of the ordinary. And so then Jesus goes on to the Levite, and he's sort of going down in progression. And he does the priest, and now the Levite is next in 32. So likewise, a Levite. Now, Levites weren't priests in the temple because they weren't of the line of Aaron, but they did help in the temple. They were sort of the assistants to the, the priests. And so this would be if one of our elders, like Jim or Phil, walked by. <laughs> or one of our deacons, Chris. You know, you're walking by. And, and so, so they walked by and they came to the place and saw him. Exact same result. They passed by on the other side. After all, the priest did. But again, all these concerns, it is messy to help people. It is messy to get involved. It does cost us time and energy and you never know what's going to happen. We've all been in a hurry and seen someone in need and we're like, ah, I'm not even going to get in that conversation. I have things to do. And so Jesus is painting this picture. And so now we get to, to the third, third option and the third person coming down this path by chance, by good fortune. And, and to, the, to, to the Jewish mind, they often love to tell stories in threes. And, and so they would have two sort of people that, that didn't do it right. Then they'd have someone that do it right. And the progression was priest and then someone a little lesser Levite. So they're expecting Jesus to say, and then this Jewish person, this Jewish man who is walking with God walks by and they're like, yes, he's going to be the neighbor. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. He says, but a Samaritan, boo, hiss. Remember what we've talked about. Samaritans were hated. They were the mongrels. They were the, the group that, that um, when the Assyrians came and when the Assyrians invaded, they, they married them and intermarried. And so they were this half-breed and they were despised. In fact, so much that on Mount Gerizim, they set up their own temple so they wouldn't have to touch Jerusalem. But the Jews came just a little bit before this and came and destroyed their temple so they couldn't worship God. It just, it's a mess people that don't like each other, people that are opposed to each other. And we have to understand the significance here. When we think Samaritan, what do we think? The good Samaritan, the hero. And Jesus here paints the Samaritan as the hero, but to them it's the evil person that's the hero. It would be like if you were hurt and, and, and you were in trouble and maybe on the side of the road or whatever and everyone from church passed you by, oh, hope you're doing okay, have a good day, and you're, and you're just struggling, and then someone that, that was in one of the camps along the riverbed come and helps you. And, and all week, we, ah, I can't believe those homeless people doing this and they're just on drugs or whatever, and then they come and help you and it, it would blow our minds a little bit. Or we come out of a Christian church and all the Christians pass us by and the Muslim man walking down the street stops and helps you. Do you see how amazingly Jesus paints a picture of two different people helping each other? And he paints the hero as this man who would have been the lowest of lows. And so there's a lot of of shock value here. The hatred the compromise. They wouldn't even touch each other. One of the rabbis said, let no man eat the bread of the Samaritans for he who eats their bread is as he who eats swine's flesh. Quite frankly, if the Jew wasn't half dead, he probably would have pushed away the loathsome Samaritan and not taken his help. 
this had to sting a little bit for James and John. Do you remember two passages ago? They were in a Samaritan village, didn't give Jesus a warm welcome, and so they come out of the village and say, let's, let's roast them, let's have fire from heaven, yeah! And Jesus is like, no, that's not what I'm about. And now Jesus makes the Samaritans the hero? He was crossing racial boundaries. He was crossing, crossing social boundaries, group boundaries. And let's look at what happened. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, and maybe the hearers are going, he beat him some more. No, no. When he saw him, he had compassion. He deeply in his heart felt for this person and was moved to help him. And he took care of him. And we read on, and and it's the familiar, but understand the tension of, of different races here. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And at the time, oil and wine were medicinal. The the wine, the alcohol in it would be an antiseptic and would would, um, kill some of the bacteria. The oil just made you feel better. And so he's taking care of his wounds. He's soothing. And he's caring for this man. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And so he gets off his own animal going down the 17-mile walk. And, and maybe you're good with a 17-mile, 3,300, mile, 3,300 feet hike. But he gets off, puts the guy on, and he walks besides his animal. And so there's personal inconvenience here to care for someone else. He got to the inn and, and left him for someone else to take care of. Is that what it says? No, it says he got to the inn and then he took care of him. So he stayed at the inn for a while and and made sure he was settled and cleaned him up and and helped him out. And then finally, it was time for him to go. And the next day he took out two denarii. And this was probably enough to pay for about two months of lodging and food. So this was a significant amount to, to, to them. He took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. And you see some great things there. That not only the, the, um, the personal inconvenience of getting involved, but now he's gone above and beyond and said, even if there's more, I'll pay for it. It was at cost to him. He did more than the minimum. In fact, he did all he could. Now picture this. Picture, picture him going to a Jewish inn with a beaten-up Jewish man, and he's a Samaritan. This is like going into the the police station with the the robbed money bags from the bank, saying, I'm here to turn them in. How'd you get them? What'd you do? And so even the fact that he he took this on would have been at risk to his reputation. Because the innkeeper had to have thought at first, oh yeah, someone else beat him up. I know about Samaritans. I know the swine you are. And so he's crossing all kinds of boundaries and all kinds of barriers to care for this person at great cost to himself. And one of the things we see here as Jesus is talking about who is my neighbor or what does a neighbor do, it's all very active. This act of how to love others as yourself, how to love your neighbor as yourself, it's not just, well, let's think good thoughts about our neighbor. It's active. He gets in there. He gets in the mess and finds a way to help. He plans to come back and check on him. 
he comes back and settle up and make sure all the needs are taken care of. This man is an incredible example of what it means to love others. Then we get to 36 and 37. And we get to Jesus' lesson for the man and then some of the lessons that we can gain out of this. Because Jesus then, he's told his story, the hook is set, and now he's going to yank on it a little bit. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, if you're the, the lawyer, if you're the student of the law and you hate the Samaritans, man, you're stuck. What do you, in fact, look at his answer. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Couldn't even say the Samaritan. Couldn't even speak the right, the one who showed him mercy. But Jesus is teaching him. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the man asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus' answer was, go and be a neighbor. Like the Samaritan. That had to sting. But Jesus is driving home the point, And he's driving home that it's not about differentiating between who should I love, who should I not, and who should I care for. It's how much can I care? How much can I give? The vile Samaritan is the one that teaches that it is whoever is in need. And so Jesus expands this view of neighbor to say any person made in the image of God that is in need, that's your neighbor. Go help them. That's radically expansive. Because that means anyone we come in contact with that's in need. Any need that we see, our heart should be compassionate. We should be merciful and we should find ways to help them. This crosses social and racial and class boundaries like we said. It crosses boundaries of, of personal space and, and my own stuff and my own comfort to say anyone made in the image of God is who I should love. See, genuine love for others doesn't care about human distinctions. And we have all these distinctions and all these ways we group ourselves. And even in this church, we have, we have different groupings. And, and God doesn't care about any of those. He says, love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's get over these distinctions and find ways to cross these boundaries and show God's love. Who is my neighbor? Whoever needs me to act like a neighbor. That's my neighbor. And so Jesus asks a question that was supposed to give him a type of person. He, he answers the question with a verb that says, go and do. And he's coming back to his mission. Proclaim the gospel, love the people. And he's coming back to that. And he tells the man, go and do likewise to people not like you, to other races, to people in other groups, to people you despise, to people that frustrate you. What a challenge. What a challenge. And so some of the, the, the lessons to us is how can, we, how can we follow this? How can we neighbor? I'm going to use neighbor as a verb. Can I change up words? How, how, how do we neighbor? And, and some of the things right out of the story, neighboring crosses boundaries to anyone made in the image of God. Neighboring crosses boundaries to anyone made in the image of God. We're to love all. We're, the, we're to, to, to meet the needs that we see. If you have a heart of a neighbor, you'll see and help a neighbor. And, and that involves outside of this room. That involves inside of this room. If there's people that have frustrated us or annoyed us, neighboring means saying, I don't care. I'm going to love them. I'm going to ignore that. I'm not going to hold that over their heads. I'm going to love them and be their neighbor. 
That's God's instruction. That's God's commands. Anything less is sin. And so we're to cross boundaries. You know, some of you have done such a wonderful job of reaching out to some of the homeless. And, and, and it, it's a struggle in Orange County right now because the camps have been closed by the riverbed and, and it seems like every storefront and every corner there's a homeless. And so the question for us this week is, okay, do I get angry every time I see that and despise and, and sort of shuffle away and try to avoid or am I going to find ways to love and to care? And and I'm not saying we have to give a a whole ton of money or something, but there's other ways to love and care that are appropriate to their need. I know some of you have have spent time and prayed for some of them and heard their stories. Does it take time? Yeah, it does. Being on mission, though, says we take the time. You know, maybe this means looking beyond our own circles of friendships to how can I befriend someone that's not in my circle of friendship? Maybe we need to think through, uh, do we struggle with other races? Do I struggle with people that are different than myself? And do I hold them at arm's length? Or do I embrace what they're about and find ways to love them? See, neighboring crosses boundaries to anyone made in the image of God. That's the only biblical distinction. And if they're made in the image of God, then we're to love. Second lesson there is neighboring involves true care and mercy from the heart. Did you catch what the first thing about the Samaritan was said? He had compassion. This wasn't just a duty. This was something that he actually cared for this man. This Samaritan actually cared for this Jewish man that was half dead. And so he got involved in the mess. He didn't just throw money at it or have someone else solve it. He walked with him, put him on his own donkey. And for us, we get involved. We walk with people. You never know. Some of those people that are in need that you come across might need Christ. What if that act of loving others, of helping your neighbor, that act of neighboring, what if that then opens the door for the gospel? Is a soul worth it? Yeah. so, So what if that Jewish man that the Samaritan helped recovered and a month later the Samaritan man comes back, do you think that the Samaritan man might have been able to have a voice in his life about Jesus? And we don't know if they're believers, but, but think of the situation. If he was a believer, do you think he might have had a voice? Yes, because of how he acted. The mission of proclaiming the gospel and loving others and helping others can't be separated. And Jesus is powerfully showing that to us third lesson there that we see from the Samaritan is love is demonstrated in actions, not just words or knowledge of who my neighbor is. We don't just study it. And then, hey, we've helped them. I love a story of D.L. Moody. Um, They were at a convention in Indianapolis. And um, Mr. Moody asked singer Ira Sankey to meet him at six o'clock one evening on a certain street corner. And Sankey arrived and and Moody put a, a box out and asked him to stand on it and sing. Not long, a crowd gathered, and Moody spoke briefly, and then he invited the crowd to to follow him into a nearby opera house. Before long, the auditorium was filled. The evangelist preached the gospel to spiritually hungry people. And when the delegates started to arrive at that opera house, for the convention they were there, Moody stopped preaching and said, Ah, we must close. The brethren of the convention wished to come and discuss the question, How do we reach the masses? And he made his point. 
and the knife went in a little bit. He went out and did it instead of just talked about it. When we talk about neighboring, it's something we go out and do instead of just talk about. You know, the other thing we see from the Samaritan, neighboring might mean personal inconvenience and cost. It probably means personal inconvenience and cost. But we have an example of this. In 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And finally, neighboring means going above and beyond by following up and making sure needs are met. Samaritan did more than the minimum. He did more than than what the the legal scholar was trying to find, that line that he could just go up and and, and, and barely obey the law. The Samaritan said, I'm to care for him. And he went above and beyond financially and with his time and with his follow-up. There is nothing like caring for someone and then the next week following up and asking how they're doing with that question. You, you want to you change lives? Remember what people say to you. Actually pray for them and then ask them about it the next week. It's revolutionary. It's simple. But it's how we neighbor. It's how we love one another. A quote that I really loved is, Love should not be limited by its object, by who was being loved. Love is not limited by its object. Its extent and quality are in the control of the one loving and fueled by love for God. If who I'm loving defines how I love, there's a problem. Because I should be loving with how God loved me. With how God loved me. And so I want to end with a challenge. And then we will still sing, sing the song because I want to I hear that. Um, challenge is to go agape. And, and the word for love here is agape. It's an unconditional love. Go neighbor and so how do we do that? And, and my challenge to us as a church is this week, can we each commit to doing one act of kindness for someone not like us? One act of kindness for someone we don't know. I don't care what it is. I'm not going to define it. It could be buying Starbucks for the person behind you. It could be helping someone carry their groceries. To their, I don't know what it is, but can we each do one act of kindness for someone that, that isn't like us or someone that we don't know with no strings attached, and see what God does with that this week? With a church that actually becomes like the Good Samaritan? And I want to hear stories. I want to hear that we're doing I want us to be encouraging to do this. Do this. And so let's neighbor this week. Use it as a verb. Let's find a way to do this. One act of kindness. And let's see what God does with obeying Him to love our neighbor as ourselves. I want to end with a thought as I send you out. The priest and the Levite had just come from the temple and they had just quoted the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And probably love your neighbor as yourself. They had this wonderful statement of worship and on their way home, they left the guy dying on the road. Let's not be that. Let's make sure our words of worship match our actions today and this week. Let me pray. Lord God, Lord, help us to, to follow the example of the Samaritan and love our neighbor the best that we can and anyone in need. Lord, help us not to be putting ourselves in the place of the man on the road thinking we're the victim all the time, but finding ways to love and to reach out and to cross those boundaries. Lord, I'm excited to know what you would do with this church as we obey this, as we follow your instructions. 
as we genuinely love others and point them to you and be on mission, Lord. I pray for souls to be one for you. I pray that there would be people that we would have in heaven because we follow this command to love you and to love others. Lord, use us as your hands and feet. In Jesus' name.